Good morning, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us today for this webcast. We're just getting ready to get started. And I'd like to welcome you to this special episode of A Tech Moment on Cannabis Tech. Now, last week, if you follow our website, you probably noticed a little bit of a theme. As we published several different pages or several different articles about sustainable solutions within the cannabis and hemp industry. As more and more energy and resource regulations start to increase across the nation, sustainability has become a critical, critical mission for horticultural operations such as cannabis. Today, we get to celebrate five more states joining the ranks of the legal cannabis industry as the election in South Dakota, New Jersey, Montana, Arizona, and even Mississippi have now expanded our base in the cannabis industry. Now is no better time than now to get involved in sustainability and resource efficiency before these cannabis operations even get started. So today in this special live episode of A Tech Moment, we're gonna dive further into this topic of incentives and re uh, utility rebates and the quest for sustainability in the cannabis industry. Now, last week we published an article named Ahead of the Curve. It was a case study in sustainability and we spoke with Mr. Edward Dow, who is the CEO of Solar Therapeutics, regarding their efforts in sustainability in his cannabis facility. Now, his number one piece of advice as we ended that article was to tell growers that they really need to make that transition to LED lighting. So to support his theory, we're gonna kick off this webcast today talking with Corrine Wilder, who is the VP of Global Operations at Fluence. And Corrine has worked with dozens of companies helping them through this process of applying for rebates, applying for incentives, utility incentives, and she's going to lay out some of these opportunities that are out there and how you can take advantage of them as well. Now, in addition to that, we've also brought Mr. Edward Dow uh, from Solar, Th uh, Solar Therapeutics here, and he's going to bring some of that real-world experience, things that he's actually experienced while trying to apply for these rebates, how he went about getting them, and he's going to talk about some pretty substantial numbers that I think you're going to be pretty impressed with. Now, we also have brought in Derek Smith, who's the Executive Director of the Resource Innovation Institute. And he's going to talk about some strategic tactics and tools that they have that can help you kind of gauge your efficiency, make improvements where necessary, and then also take advantage of the opportunities that are out there for the cannabis industry. And then finally, the last part of this webcast, we're going to open it up to you. And we're going to let you ask all of these industry experts the questions that you have about how can you make your facility more sustainable, more energy efficient, and how can you take advantage of these rebates that are out there. So welcome to the webcast, everybody. Welcome to our panelists. Thank you so much for taking the time out today. So Corrine, let's get this started. Now, welcome to the show. Talk to us a little bit about why Thank these you. incentive programs are just so valuable for cannabis growers. And I mean, it's basically hidden money, right? How can cannabis uh, operations start taking advantage of some of this? Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much for that introduction. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm, I'm super thrilled to be on and on this call with Ed and Derek too. We've got some awesome stories here. Um, we're talking about rebates and incentives just because this is, a, this is a very good opportunity for reducing ROI and improving that, but then also sure that 
your overall operational efficiency for your grow is um, as good as you can get. And this is really free money out there to take advantage of. And it's a little elusive. So we're trying to pull back the curtain here and discuss um, energy and utility incentives out in the open so that you really understand how best to take advantage of this. So I do wanna tell you that we have, as Fluence, we've initiated a program that started back in 2016 when I joined the company. I've had a background through Panasonic of uh, working with utility companies and energy savings for about 10 years now. So when I came to Fluence, I really wanted to make sure that for the horticulture lighting industry, we also were able to go in and capture those energy savings because it really does help a lot with understanding and um, getting access into efficient products for your specific grow. So when we started, there were very few projects out there, but over the last four or five years, we've built up a network of about 80 to 90 utilities across the US and Canada that we have access into now. So we have secured over $13 million to date for our customers through this initiative. Uh, one of those was a very large $1 million rebate for a vertical farm in Massachusetts. Uh, there's another $700,000 utility rebate for a customer in Colorado. And overall, we've had over 22 cannabis projects, specific cannabis projects that have had over $100,000 of a rebate. So some of these rebates can be quite significant and it's really important to understand how do you capture that? What are the best uh, practices to go in and really understand what they're looking for so you can give them the information that they want and that's what they want as well. So these different uh, utility, sorry, Emma, if we can go back. These different companies like Energy Trust, uh, which is out in Oregon, IESO, which is up in Canada, and then SMUD, Nevada Energy, uh, DTE in Michigan, these different utility companies want to give you money. There's a lot of different uh, articles out there by companies like ACEEE, which Derek works with in his organization, which have shown that utility companies want and would rather to give you as a customer a rebate to incentivize efficient technology rather than them have to go out and build additional infrastructure and load onto their grid. So it's really in your favor and it's also in their favor. So we can move to the next slide. So how are these custom incentives calculated? Really it's by comparing what you would have put into your grow to what you do put into your grow, meaning more efficient line. So what we'll show here is a couple of different calculations to show what kind of energy savings you'll get. So it could be measured by kilowatt hours, by kilowatts or by kilowatt hours plus kilowatts. And they usually only claim your first year of savings. So that's one thing to consider. And we'll go into the next slide and show some other information. But for this specifically, it's just a, a normal calculation showing a thousand watt double-ended high pressure sodium versus one of our fixtures, which is about 630 watts instead. So on a 100 to 100 fixture calculation, if you're at 4380 hours, which is a 12 hour DLI, that is basically 108 total kilowatts or 473,000 total kilowatt hours. I'm sure most of you know how to do this calculation, but it's basically just 
watts per fixture times number of fixtures times total annual hours divided by a thousand. So that's your total kilowatt hours. So between the two in this particular calculation, we're showing uh, almost 200,000 kilowatt hours saved per year for that one room alone. And in energy costs, if you're at seven cents a kilowatt hour, which is pretty typical US, for your savings, just savings in energy alone is $14,000 for that one room. So let's just keep that in mind as we continue on. So if we take a look at the US, there's a lot of different uh, utilities out here which have different ways of calculating their energy savings. So this is one of the complexities of the program and the reason why we offer it as a service to our customers is because it's quite complicated. If you're an MSO or if you're a single operator, either way, depending on what state you're in, you're probably gonna have a different utility that has a different program. And it can even go into a different county or city too. So I will say a lot of our customers have actually chosen where to set up their operations specifically due to the rebate that they could potentially get because it could be that significant. This is a couple of examples around the country of what kind of savings you can get. And it's also showing that there are uh, different ways that they calculate it as well. So some calculate their savings and what kind of rebate you're gonna get by kilowatt hours, like we showed in the last slide and some base it off of kilowatts. So as you can see in PG&E for California, it's $150 per kilowatt saved or 12 cents per kilowatt hour saved. In some cases, uh, they'll take the better or the, I'm sorry, the less of the two. So it really depends on your operating hours in some cases. And in others, you can see in some cases, you're gonna have a better rebate in areas of the country versus some other places too. So Energy Trust has a really uh, decent energy savings kilowatt hour calculation rate, whereas some places like in Florida, you'll get a seven cents per kilowatt hour, or as you can see for DTE, it's five cents per kilowatt hour. So that can be significant. I would say five cents per kilowatt hour is somewhere between 100 to $150 per fixture rebate. 15 cents per kilowatt hour will be more like 300 to $400 per kilowatt hour. I'm sorry, per fixture. We can keep going. So looking at the total cost of ownership is one of the most important things to do. So again, with the number of fixtures, and we're just gonna use 100 to 100, uh, $350 is a pretty standard cost for double-ended high-pressure sodium versus about 1,200 for LED. And I know people say, Oh man, sticker shock, that's a lot more. And it is, and that's why incentives are in place. So looking at total fixture cost, 35,000 versus 120,000. Okay, that's still quite expensive. But if you start stepping through and really look at the different ways that this is calculated, again, at the annual kilowatts, and then you go in and look at the electricity cost per year, how much you're going to be spending on electricity, that total cost of, of the room plus any relamping you have to do with LED, you don't relamp with HPS and CMH and et cetera, you will have to. So that first year total cost of ownership is likely 82,000 versus about 120,000. So you look at the difference, there's a $40,000 de Delta the first year. The second year, you're almost equivalent 
And the third year is when you're gonna start seeing these savings. So by year three, you're already almost $30,000 in the positive because of the choices that you made. So just keep this in mind as well. And that rebate can really help. So another thing to look at is the Design Lights Consortium. So if you're not aware of this company or this, I'll call it an entity, uh, they are basically equivalent to an Energy Star program. If you guys see the Energy Star logo on refrigerators and washing machines, this is basically the same idea with the DLC. The DLC produces something called their Qualified Products List. So they are a third party uh, entity that's out there to do testing, make sure that it meets efficacy standards, that it has warranties of five years or more, it meets all the safety certifications, et cetera. So this is basically a seal of approval that says, we think that this is a quality fixture. So the horticultural DLC QPL only came out in at the beginning of 2018. So we haven't had it a lot uh, for very long, but it has massively improved the ability for utilities to offer rebates to customers. So if you can find a fixture that is on the DLC QPL, most likely you will be automatically qualified to receive a rebate on that fixture. That's super good news. We can move on. The next thing is really to understand the process. And I'll kind of go through this slide quickly just to make sure we understand some of the rules. So one of the rules is you must demonstrate that you can verify this energy savings. Like I said, the utilities are making a choice between do we give you an incentive or do we build out extra load? And they wanna make sure that they are going to realize that energy savings. So sometimes you'll have a minimum project size. In some cases, that's 20 fixtures, 10 fixtures. To that, they have to have their own resources to go file um, and, and run this program. And in some cases, they won't do an, a rebate on something fairly small like that. So that's one thing to consider. You also have to have pre-approval. So um, if you go in and you order your fixtures and then you ask the utility company for a rebate, they're likely gonna say no because you've already made that decision to move to LED. And that means that they can't capture savings. You are already gonna do it anyway. In some cases, you'll have cost caps, meaning you hit a million dollars and you can't go over that or you hit $150,000 and that's all they'll give you for a specific rebate. So keep that in mind, that's a question to ask. And then some of the product requirements, like I said, DLC, warranty, useful life. It does take time to walk through the incentive process. So my final slide is really just about what that process looks like and the time that it takes. And I'm sure Ed's gonna talk about this too, to a degree, but basically for a custom product project, which pretty much I would say 99% of the utility incentives and rebates that are out there are custom incentives, which means that you have to file for it ahead of time. So before you buy your fixtures, before you put the PO in, you need to submit that application. It's gonna go through an engineering review. Then you get your pre-approval, which we call a golden ticket. So here, Mr. Customer, yes, you are authorized to purchase said equipment to improve your energy efficiency. We'll have a design meeting and they'll incentivize and give the offer. Then you go into your construction. So order fixtures, get them on site, go into construction. After that's done, you'll send the paperwork into them. They'll come out and do an inspection to ensure that you did what you said you were gonna do. 
And that's when you get your incentive check back. So all in all, it could take two weeks or it could take four months, depending on how long, um, how complicated your project is, if it's indoor or a greenhouse, and then um, actually installing the fixtures and submitting that final application. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, we have a, a whole team here at Fluence to explain this more. So if you wanna reach out, we are here. Um, but just keep that in mind that it, it does take time to get this done. Thanks so much, mm -hmm. Corinne. We really appreciate you running through some of the details of how, this, how these types of programs actually work. And, and to know that they have resources there at Fluence, you know, that growers have somebody that they can turn to that has um, the insight to kind of walk them through some of these more complex processes. But that's why we wanted to bring Mr. Dow back today and discuss uh, the, the results that he's seen. Because if you remember the article, we were so impressed with everything that Solar Therapeutics has done and all of the, the rebates that they've seen. So Mr. Dow, thank you so much for joining us again here today. And obviously, I mean, seeing the numbers that Corinne has put up there on the, in the presentation, we, we see slides and we see numbers like this all the time. And if we all lived in theory, it would be a perfect world. And I know that that's what a lot of people think when they start seeing these big numbers flash across the screen. But what I want you to do for us today is kind of give us that real world experience because remind our audience just exactly how much have you seen to date in the rebates that, uh, that you've applied for? So to date, we've seen just under a million dollars um, with our 20% holdback that we're now dialing in on, we'll be at about 1.1 total. Uh, and it was a pretty blended um, segment of products that made up that total. That's absolutely And incredible. I can elaborate on what those, thank you. And thanks for having me here, by the way. I meant to say that first off. Absolutely. No, we appreciate your time this morning. Now, in this article, we talked about different things, but one of the, the final things that we kind of closed out on was your advice to other cannabis operations. And you said that the first thing that you would suggest that anybody does in, in this quest for sustainability is, is look into those LED lights and, and, and doing things, you know, from an energy perspective up front. So, I know in the past, LED lights have not really had that great of a reputation. So can you talk to us a little bit about how did you come to the decision to go with the LEDs? And then how did you choose Fluence? Uh, yeah, I can. So we originally were designing around CMH bulbs. Um, we thought um, that we'd start, we started this process designing over two years ago, probably two and a half, almost three years ago at this point. And um, we thought that we'd start with CMH bulbs and then evolve into LED lighting. When we started running all the calculations on the engineering side that Corinne was uh, rightly pointing to with all the rebates and uh, other efficiencies that can be gained, um, we saw how much smaller the overall equipment we needed to support our facility would be if we went with LED lighting up front. Um, to the tune of, we were originally designed at around a seven and a half megawatt facility. We're now down to about a four megawatt facility, all said and done, um, which is a substantial redesign right there. And I would attribute most of that redesign to incorporating LEDs. Um, they were kind of the primary driver for that redesign. Um, as far as picking fluence, we 
we're actually going with a different company originally. We were uh, we didn't have have the the capital to to go with Fluence, and we really kind of uh, one of my major partners um, is actually heavily in the lighting industry, uh, more the commercial lighting, not horticulture space. And we were vetting these companies out pretty thoroughly, and then we realized staying power in the industry is going to be a big deal moving forward. This was really early on. LEDs had a pretty terrible reputation just five years ago. I myself had some really bad experiences and my grower wouldn't even consider LEDs. Um, so when it came to vetting out the LED companies in the space, um, we really switched paths from, from one company to Fluence because we just thought they had a much better chance at being around long-term. And I'm really, really glad we made that decision because Fluence has just been blowing up since we've, uh, since we've, we've purchased that equipment. And um, we've been having great successes here with those lights at the facility. So we're really happy to, to and now it is kind of a partnership. We're on another Fluence uh, a podcast right now with you guys. And um, we love the product. They do support us. Um, I'm not just trying to plug Fluence. Uh, I, I really genuinely love the product. So thank you. It's always um, great to hear when, when so, growers so can get behind a product mm -hmm. or behind a supplier that they're working with and, and really enjoy or, you know, tout that relationship. And I think that's kind of a big thing in this industry is that the, the companies have to be able to have that, that relationship and work with each other um, on, a, on an ongoing basis. Now, one of the things that you kind of touched on that I did want to kind of draw out of your conversation a little bit is that in, in the emerging cannabis industry and, and with the, the consumer kind of evolving as the cannabis industry grows, sustainability becomes more than just an opportunity to uh, save money or to, to be energy efficient. It's actually now something that consumers are looking for. They're looking for those companies that are good environmental stewards. And I think by, by taking these considerations up front, I think this really is going to impact ultimately the the consumer's decision at you know in in retail as well I, I think so i don't know if the consumer's looking at that just yet or really driving their decisions around it yet i think all things being equal if our products on the shelves and it's built sustainably versus a non-sustainably built product i like to think that they're going to naturally gravitate to that sustainably uh built product but uh I think it's still kind of evolving. I think we all, I hope we're all kind of naturally leaning in that direction anyways. So, so yes, I agree with you. I think it's, it's also going to be value in a marketing perspective as the industry evolves. Absolutely. Um, now, one of the things that, that I'd like to dive into now is let's talk some specifics. Now you have, uh, you have done multiple things to not only receive these rebates and incentives, but to ensure that your facility is, is sustainable. Do you want to kind of go through some of the things that you've done and some of the rebates that you have seen from this, the, the different kinds of technologies that you've employed? Sure. So the lighting was the first and foremost one. Uh, we still are building out the facility, but with our initial order of lights, and this was pretty early on, I think we could probably get even more money now we were just kind of working through the rebate program back then. And it wasn't really two weeks back then, Corinne. It was that it took us many months to get to that rebate back then. Um, but we got 165-ish thousand initially, and we'll be just under 200,000 for that first group of batch of lights. 
the next order for lights we're putting it in uh triples our first order so so you can it'll have corresponding rebates uh but we got about five just under five hundred thousand between going with super high efficiency boilers and um, our air handlers which are actually dubbed energy recovery units um, we built in some extra coils there to recondense our water um, so that we could recapture that water there's no rebates there but um, it was something we wanted to do to, to, to lower our overall uh, water usage profile. Auto lighting controls was another one. Free fluid coolers. So when it gets below a certain temperature outside, I don't remember the exact number, but I believe it's around 40 degrees outside or, or below. We actually get free cooling from atmosphere. That rebate was $190,000. So the total we got uh, also... The gas company, so we worked with National Grid on those for about 700,000 of our rebates to date. And then Liberty Utilities was our gas company. To date, we've gotten about 283,000, uh, almost $284,000 from the gas utility company. We were the largest project to date that they've, they've ever worked on. So that was kind of nice. But yeah, once we get the 20% holdback, which we're going through the trending data now, as I was telling Derek earlier, um, we'll get another 20%, which will bring us to over 1.1 million in rebates to date. Those are some incredible numbers. So we're numbers. excited about that. Absolutely incredible yeah. numbers. Now, we're, we're working on a, a much bigger rebate, as I told you, which we can kind of leave out of this discussion. But on the cogen, which is kind of a topic all into itself, we're targeting multi-million dollar rebate right now. That's great. And actually, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to have you touch base just a little bit on what you're doing with microgrids there at Solar Therapeutics. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Sometimes that, that gets into a whole conversation on its own, but I'll keep it brief. Solar panels we have on site, but we cannot rely on them to be our primary power driver, nor can we legally pull them, quote unquote, behind the meter yet. Um, we're hoping we can pull them behind the meter in the next year or so but we didn't have grid power available to us. We thought kind of naively early on, we'd take all the solar panels we had on site, use them on site, store the battery storage, and, and that wasn't really reality. So we had to look into what's called combined heat and power generators, uh, big natural gas, ultra clean burning generators, which we have two on site. We have a one and a half megawatt and a 1.2 megawatt. We also have a battery storage system, much smaller. We didn't invest a huge battery storage system yet until we can pull solar behind the, the, the grid. But we can generate right now about five megawatts on site. And we produce our power for at least, it's actually under half of what we pay the utility company. Of course, there was some big upfront expenditures. We still haven't got those rebates yet. So we really couldn't plan them into the CapEx. But, but the cogen units we're talking about, you know, let's say a rough number would be $4 million for those. Um, you can recoup, let's say half that, that money back or more. Um, so we're targeting uh, at least that, but, but that takes a year plus. Uh, it takes a year in permitting. We're now a power plant in Massachusetts. The rebates are really gonna be kind of a total bonus for us. And we probably won't see them till the end of this year. Uh, whereas we laid, outlaid all that capital years ago, year and a half ago. Now, one of the things that we did talk about in that article too, and, and Derek Smith, I'll pull you in on this conversation here shortly, but 
Edward, talk to me a little bit. You had sustainability in mind from the beginning. So if you were talking to, say, these um, curious growers that are now, you know, living in these new states, South Dakota, New Jersey, what's your best advice to them for kind of getting started off on the right foot in terms of energy efficiency and sustainability if they're looking at starting a grow in their state? Yeah, my, my honest answer is look into lighting. I chose Fluence. I don't mean to sound like a Fluence commercial, but that's the easiest thing to do is look into LED lighting right off the bat because that'll change the whole overall design and load profile of your facility. Um, so that's my number one response to everyone. I also really appreciate water recapture. It's cheap and easy to build in the beginning. There's not huge incentives on the back end. You're not going to save a ton of money on a water bill. Water bills aren't necessarily going to be one of your bigger bills. But if you're using a few thousand gallons a day and you're recapturing all that those gallons per day, it's a pretty cheap and easy grab um, to, to be a sustainable and responsible player in the space. So those are the two that, and look for a place that has natural gas if possible. Um, that really opens up your options. If you're tied to an electric grid per se, that can limit what you can do. Well, it's definitely very obvious that your facility is kind of a, a model for, for other facilities that are looking to take, you know, kind of a more environmentally friendly route for their cannabis operation. Now, Derek Smith, let's pull you into this conversation about energy resources. Now, as the executive director at the Resource Innovation Institute, do you want to tell us a little bit about RII and how you work with cannabis industry operations like Solar Therapeutics? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you also for having me here. And it's really great to be with Corinne and Ed uh, as leaders in the space. Um, RII was started uh, over four years ago. I'm based in Oregon. We saw the Oregon uh, legislation coming and um, we knew that there would be a need for an independent organization to objectively advise the industry and governments and utilities on how much energy is being used, um, how it's being used, what, what are the most effective ways to drive efficiency. Typically, the U.S. Department of Energy would step in in an, a new emerging energy intensive industry, but to help bring some order to that. Uh, but of course, they're not involved. So uh, we stepped in um, and our mission is really to advance resource efficiency to cultivate a better cannabis future. Uh, I think that future is really everything that we all want, uh, which is profitable, sustainable businesses. You know, this is not easy to, to run an indoor operation with all this resource usage and be profitable, um, especially as you look forward to when the state walls come down and we're really competing on a, on a whole other level. Um, also, that future is about a lower uh, environmental footprint, and, and it's also really about more acceptance, uh, increasing acceptance from all types of stakeholders that are, that are looking at this industry and how much resource it uses from consumers to regulators to other, others. So we are data-driven, we're objective, we are literally here to support cultivators to um, have the knowledge and the confidence that the steps that they wanna take on efficiency are going to result in um, energy savings and ultimately more profit and, and more successful business. So we work with cultivators, governments, architects, engineers to basically all sit around the table and, and make sure that the advice that is being brought to the market um, is peer reviewed and can be trusted, is vetted, 
Um, I put a link in the chat uh, to our resources page where cultivators can find um, you know, a whole bunch of case studies and independently verified um, research uh, projects that have been done on efficiency and different technologies. And um, we invite everyone to join us on this journey. You know, we're gonna make this industry a lot more efficient and effective uh, and, and cultivators more successful. And it's because of leaders like Fluence and others that are supporting us in the supply chain to bring this good information to cultivators that, that we are able to be here. Now, one thing that I do want to kind of touch base on, and you mentioned this when we were preparing for the webcast, with the regulations coming, there's going to be fewer money or less money available later on down the road, whereas now there's more money available because they're trying to encourage people to get there ahead of time. Is that correct? I mean, is, do, do growers really need to kind of jump on this train now if they're going to take advantage of these kinds of things as regulations continue to, to crop up in different states? Yeah. Well, yes, and it depends on the market you're in. Yes. Um, obviously, Massachusetts has energy requirements um, and Illinois uh, essentially followed suit uh, with after Massachusetts and, and now California is writing uh, energy codes that would essentially require LED lighting for new facilities and for major upgrades to existing facilities. There is a essentially an allowance for existing facilities using HPS to continue to do that. But when they make a major upgrade, you know, they would need to convert at least that upgraded portion to LEDs. So this is not going away. Uh, energy codes always arrive in energy intensive industries. We know that from looking and working in other industries. So, th so the important thing is that cultivators jump on this, get ahead of the curve as, as you're talking about in this session, do the work that Solar Therapeutics has done, uh, learn from their lessons. Uh, and we appreciate Ed uh, for his leadership and being transparent, um, not all Operations want to share these types of learnings, uh, but you know it really is important that the whole industry moves forward in a in an effective way because it's really the the reputation of the industry that's going to impact each of these operations. Um, and the more we all engage, capture data, share best practices, the more that reputation is going to increase for the industry overall, and the more it's going to you know raise all boats, um, right? Everybody will have better information to be successful. And then competition will be on the things that we really want it to be about, which is quality and, and the other aspects of, of business strategy. Uh, so the more we can learn, ultimately, we'll be able to evaluate leaders like Solar Therapeutics, not just for the fact that they have LEDs and solar, but the fact that they are actually generating more efficiency than other facilities. And, and, and that's, that'll be great to be able to differentiate those leaders that are taking these steps and really figuring out how to be most efficient. And it'll also funnel right up to the investors and consumers and everybody else so that they know where to put their capital and, and, um, and where to be loyal. Right, right. So now you mentioned you know, it, it, it can be kind of daunting to figure out where you know, your, your best routes are for improving your situation and, and your grow, but you have developed some tools that growers can use, such as PowerScore and some other things. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the kinds of tools that RII offers for cannabis cultivation operations? 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll emphasize the power score. Um, I'll just say that, again, at the link, we've got best practices guides on uh, how to cultivate with LED lighting, um, how to operate HVAC systems if effectively, efficiently. And specifically for Massachusetts, we've got a, an entire best practices guide focused on uh, the regulations there and how to work within them. And we, we expect to be doing that in other markets as well. But the power score is really a powerful service that we provide. It's free to cultivators. Uh, it, all of the grower identifiable information is kept confidential. So what we encourage cultivators to do is go to cannabispowerscore.org, enter information about their annual energy usage, their annual production, the type of lighting systems, the canopy size, things like that. And we'll crunch the numbers for you to assess how efficient you are with um, energy use as well as water use. And you can see uh, we're, we're measuring, we're, we're essentially establishing the KPIs for the industry so that everybody can measure their progress and, and their starting point and then their progress over time using standardized KPIs um, that are both at a square foot of flowering canopy level as well as a production basis, right? So how many grams are you producing per unit of energy consumed? And through, so the, the tool is providing two benefits, right? One at the, at the cultivator level or the executive level so that they can understand how, to, how, how they're performing and how they can become more efficient. And the other really important aspect of, of cultivators sharing this information in a trusted confidential vehicle like the power score is if you go to the next slide through evaluating the information we're getting from cultivators we can educate the market and utilities and governments about the technologies and techniques that are actually driving the most efficiency and we're beginning to get really good data um, and so on this slide what you're seeing on the left on the electric facility kpi is essentially the that leds are proving to uh, save energy on a square foot of canopy basis. And also on the right, what we're seeing, it, so a 34% increase in uh, savings on a square foot basis uh, relative to double-ended HPS. What we're also seeing though, and maybe even more important, is um, it's increasing productivity. So in other words, you're getting more nearly double, 80% improvement in the amount of flour that is produced per unit of energy consumed. So if you think about that, that is profit, right? What this data is, is verifying is energy savings. So now there's a lot more still to understand and learn from leaders like Ed and, and others about the, the non-energy benefits of LEDs. And that's, we're beginning to study that and understand secondary metabolite expressions and everything else. And that needs to be studied. Um, but the news on energy efficiency is these technologies are working. The facilities that are using them are more efficient. Um, and you know that's, that's the picture of the market today. And we can only uh, improve as, as we get more information and more shared knowledge of how to continue to be more efficient. Well, and it's also very encouraging to know that <clears throat> that there are paths to being more efficient and that we are making strides in in being more aware of our footprint and and the the energy consumption that we're using, the water consumption that we're using. I just think it's it's encouraging to see these conversations happening and to see things kind of evolving and moving that direction. 
And again, I'll, I'll bring up this question because I just think this is, is kind of fascinating. Of course, there's a lot of money to be had here. There's a lot of rebates. There's a lot of incentives for doing these things. But outside of that, talk to me a little bit about why it's so important to consider these different utility rebate incentives and, and environmentally conscious cannabis builds. Well, and I, I will just say, and, and I'll invite Ed and, and Corinda to jump in, but you know, I, I would encourage cultivators to look at utilities as business partners, right? Um, they are in the business of helping their customers use energy effectively to create business success. They do that across a number of industries. They don't have a ton of knowledge in controlled environment agriculture yet. They're learning though. And we actually have a utility working group where we bring together utilities from 11, 11 different markets uh, throughout North America uh, to figure out best practices on the, on the utility side. And we're helping them understand, for example, using controls, automation and controls. Ed mentioned that. Um, how, how is that affecting energy use? How is that driving efficiency? How, how can we provide an incentive on that? And so we're starting a controls working group uh, soon to look at that. We have a water working group that's looking at water issues as well. Um, so, you know, the more cultivators can look at utilities as, as business partners and continually educate them with data that's coming from their operation and they can show them, look, this is this step I took or this technology I incorporated resulted in these savings. Those utilities want to um, provide support in that manner. Um, so be open, engage with your utility and, and, it will result in additional savings. And, and I just want to pick up on the point you said earlier, Christina, which is as these regulations come into play that require certain technologies, these incentives will go away. And even if the regulation isn't there, just the more that these technologies become standard, um, become the standard of what's used in the market, the incentives go away, right? So do this sooner than later and rely on good information that's peer reviewed and case studies and, and, you know, sessions like this and take advantage of this while it's there. It's not going to be there on an ongoing basis. Uh, I'll add to that real quick, just uh, based on what Derek just said, I, I like to say that utility companies are people too. So the people behind them, they, they do want to help. And so you don't necessarily have to be scared of contacting them. I know uh, in some cases, a lot of um, legacy cannabis companies have taken the the stance that you know the utility company is them and they're out to get them. And uh, I'll just say that one of the things that when I started connecting with a lot of these utility companies, one of the things that they were lamenting the most is that they had no idea how to help these cannabis companies save energy because they couldn't get in contact with them, um, you know, it, it was really hard to reach out to this market. So I think they want that input and they want that connection and that partnership. Absolutely understandable. Now we have a slide up here on the screen and, and you may have gone through some of this just a moment ago, Derek, but do you wanna kind of run through just the, the basic um, review of what people really need to pay attention to when they're when they're um, looking at different energy efficiency options and and going through this process. 
Yeah. So, and we've, we've talked about this, Corinne and Ed have both mentioned some of these things, but just in summary, I mean, there's many reasons to stay ahead of the curve on resource efficiency. We've talked about being competitive. We've talked about MSOs and, and the need to actually understand how to scale from operation to operation where you've got, say, a, a cultivation asset that is in a greenhouse in Arizona. Obviously, that's going to be very different than a warehouse in Massachusetts and how to control uh, that growing environment and to get consistent, uh, you know, product quality is going to be challenging. And and the more we can stay ahead of these issues and really dig in, the more we'll be able to have not only have a lower cost of uh, production, but but higher quality and ability to scale. We are definitely starting to get calls from investors who want to see their um, portfolio companies be meeting the needs of that they have to understand how efficient is their capital being deployed, right? And, and returned to them. Um, but also to respond to consumers and other stakeholders that want ESG type of reporting, environment, social governance type of reporting. That's gonna be a standard requirement in the industry going forward An expectation by a lot of stakeholders. You might as well start gathering data and really staying ahead of this now so that when that becomes a clear need, you're ready and you can you can succeed. Um, also with the compliance, you know, I can't imagine being an MSO trying to keep tabs with all the different regulations on every subject from state to state. Um, but obviously they're increasing on energy and water. And so the more you can stay at that best practice level the, and support groups like us that are encouraging governments to you know, look at regulations more like an incentive-based model than a, you know, hammering, um, you know, specific requirements. Um, you know, we can we can help turn this into a situation where you can easily comply from state to state, uh, and then get recognition as a leader. And and really, that final point is is more at the industry level. You know, we we think that this industry could be a leader on sustainability. We can be a model for sustainable enterprise compared to other industries. We're not there yet, but we can actually get there pretty quickly because a lot of our infrastructure hasn't been deployed yet. And if we can do it efficiently together, um, we can be a leader. That's such a good point. You know, it, it, it's, it's really interesting to, to see the cannabis industry doing this. And like you said, the, the full infrastructure hasn't even been built yet. So now that now that we have this opportunity to see where things kind of went wrong in the early days of the cannabis industry, there are so many opportunities to kind of correct the correct the path and and get the cannabis industry back on a more um, sustainable path than than it has been in the past. Maybe now I want to shout out to everybody. We're going to start taking questions here in the Q and A very soon. So if you have questions that you want to ask to Derek or Corinne or Edward, please get them out there. Um, the first question that we have here is from Eric Hendries, and uh, it's it's directed towards Derek. But I'm going to say Edward. I think you probably have um, some good comments to yeah. add in here as well. So I'm gonna direct the question to both of you, but can you speak to some of the best strategies for water consumption efficiency? I know we've been talking about energy here, but there's definitely some interest in, in water efficiencies as well. So you wanna kind of touch base on a few of those things? Ed, sure. please. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Derek. Uh, first off, all that information Derek just gave, great info. Uh, we've been working with his group for many months, uh, very knowledgeable people and uh, I do agree. It's the way that the industry is going, Derek, and, and people have to do it now moving forward. 
I, I never really thought about the outtake you had, uh, the outlook you had about we could model a whole uh, efficient industry because I'm always thinking back to all the inefficient people out there. But you're right. There's so much infrastructure to be built that we really could do it, be, be an efficiency leader. Um, so that was a great take. Um, as far as our water, we do all automatic water feeding. You have to at this scale. Right? I suppose you don't have to if you have enough people to water. Um, but what we try to do is only send the amount of water that we need to those plants until you have minimal uh, runoff. So you really, if, if you're watering those plants and you have 30 seconds of runoff, a minute of runoff after you're watering them, you're not doing yourself any favors. Um, you're wasting nutrients, you're wasting water, you're wasting natural resources. So we really try to be aware of that and have minimal runoff when we're watering. And then setting up automation around that it's painstaking, but that's really what you got to do. We, we, we did a, a very robust automatic watering and feeding schedule. So that would be first and foremost. And then, like I said earlier, we chose to recapture all our water. Uh, the plants, uh, they, they, they use the water as a mechanism to uptake nutrients. Then they transpire the water through their leaves. So there's a lot of, of water vapor in that airstream. If you can recapture that water vapor, which is fairly easy to do, um, you're saving a ton of natural resources per day. In our case, over 2,000 gallons a day right now, and we'll be well over 10,000 gallons a day fully built out. Um, so that, that's my take on, on water efficiency. And the only thing I would add, I mean, obviously, those are, those are the um, tried and true um, strategies, uh, and you're hearing from a cultivator and executive who's looking at numbers. So I don't have anything to add specifically, but what I'll say is we are I mentioned we're doing a water working group right now. We're going to be publishing the cannabis water report um, and releasing it at MJ Biz in partnership with New Frontier Data, uh, the Berkeley Cannabis Research Center, and category leaders like Grodan and Argus and Priva, Rhythm, others, who are helping us assess water usage and, and look at all the, all the stops along the way that water is used from storage to filtration to... Um, you know, in the way it's discharged and to determine at least a basic level of understanding of what our best practices, what our benchmarks in terms of gallons or grams produced per gallon consumed that cultivators should start uh, targeting and matching their progress toward. So we're in the heavy analysis phase right now. So um, we're looking forward to releasing those results in, in about a month. Phenomenal. Oh, we just got one more question come in. So, um, Derek, this one is for you as well. Does RII have any presence outside of the United States in changing um, cannabis grow ops in, in other countries? Are you working in other countries as well, or is it just basically the U.S.? Uh, no, yeah. Well, we, we have uh, an affiliation with um, some market actors down in Mexico who are really trying to help that country, um, as they establish their licensing framework, um, have support for producers to get good best practices information that is specific to that climate and that, that region, right? And that's the thing is we need to have uh, guidance that is variable based on where and how people are growing. And again, the more we capture data and best practices and involve everybody, the better information each market will have. Uh, absolutely, we just talked to some um, European folks the other day who are also looking at, at regulating the industry. Um, and, you know, looking at these early models from Massachusetts and other states, 
um, there's, we could do a lot of this better than we're doing. Um, and, you know, we're going to stay at it and stay involved as, as much as we can. We do have support from the U.S. Department of Agriculture that obviously can't be used for THC, but will be helping our research into hemp and um, other crops that are grown in indoor environments. So we'll have a lot of um, great information that's transferable to the market in the U.S. And we'll continue to get that uh, throughout the world. <laughs> hey, Fantastic. Duncan. No, thanks very much for that. And, and thanks to Steve Poston for uh, posing that question. That's really good information. Now, Edward, one thing that I do want to kind of touch base on that we, we didn't really talk about when, when we were talking about your energy consumption or your energy production, I guess I should say at this point, just so the audience knows, I, I love this number. I think it's phenomenal. Can you talk about how many houses that you can power with the uh, microgrids that you have or with your energy efficiency? Yeah, sure. So depending on the metric you look up online, uh, a megawatt can power between 500 and 1,000 homes. So we could produce power for about 5,000 ho small homes uh, from this facility. That's just such an incredible number to me. I so, love hearing that. power. You know, it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. You've taken some pretty big strides. I mean, I think you have some numbers out on your website, but you've taken some pretty big strides in actually reducing your carbon footprint as well, right? So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, our goal, so, so we want to offset at minimum 50% of our carbon footprint, which is what I, I've been saying to you folks over the past few months. Um, our target is actual, actually much higher. Uh, or, or much less carbon output than that. So uh, our, the efficiency we're shooting for in this facility would be calculated as a 90% plus efficiency as our target. Um, I think we should hit it. That's not just good for the cannabis space. That's good in any industry. That's good from big pharma standards if they're making a, a, a mega factory. Um, that is really the top you can do in the engineering space. We might even hit 95% efficiencies. Well, time will tell. Um, but we need another year under our belt easily uh, for that. And we still need to finish uh, a number of things like recapturing our heat from the cogen. There, the, the mechanisms to recapture the heat's there, but it's still not coming back into our facility. So we still have, I'd say at least a half year just of commissioning on all this equipment. Yeah, the big kicker would be solar panels. Uh, if and when battery power gets uh, battery backup gets better and more affordable and more dependable, um, our two-year plan is to start pulling at least our own solar panel assets behind the uh, the meter, so to speak. So store our own power on site. We also have a lot of room here for more and new and more efficient solar panels. So, but that that's more of a two to three plus year plan. Gotcha. So it really is just a so process. And, and people need Thanks. to be aware that this isn't just something that you flip a switch and all of a sudden things are things are better. This is a process that no takes problem. some time to to build out the uh, the efficiency that you're seeing. And climate right. change is bearing down on humanity, right? And and we we need to figure this out. Um, and and the thing is, we need these leadership models and, and thoughtful planning and vision, like that like mm -hmm. has to create these models, right? And um, we, we, will, we will get there, but we've got some work to do. And, and you know, question in this time of climate change is, how is the industry going to re respond, right? What is our role going to be? What position do we want to put forward um, as an industry? Right. 
Right. And one of the things we really need to, Derek makes a really good point there. One of the things we need to be cognizant of in this industry is how much, how energy intensive it is. I mean, we're on the level of data centers and hospitals for the amount of energy that's required to operate these facilities. Um, you know, uh, on lighting, we need about somewhere between 80 to 100 times more light in a cannabis operation than you do in a commercial office area. So it's just a lot of light and a lot of electricity going into these facilities and any incremental improvement can be made will be very, very needed. Right, right. Well, you know, guys, we are coming up on the close of the hour, but I want to thank everybody again for joining us. Obviously, this is such a huge topic in the cannabis industry. We're going to see this come up more and more and more. So like we said in the beginning, get ahead of the curve. Start working with these companies now that can help your cannabis operation rein in some of those resource usage, start controlling the water usage better, start doing the water reclamation, take advantage of these rebates and incentives to put your facility out ahead of the pack when these other energy regulations come down. Again, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will follow up obviously with some uh, links and resources if you registered for this today. And and thanks again for taking time out and learning more about this.